Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul. And I'm Corey. And joining us today is actress Debbie Rashone, and she's here to talk about her recent film, Bloody Ballet. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you. And what a ballet it was. It was bloody. I can imagine. It's uh, one of the few ballets they'd probably <laughs> actually get. Yeah. Oh, man. Holy cow. Yeah, this is no, it's a really visually stunning movie. I don't know how much you guys know about the movie yet. You guys have to tell me, but boy, oh boy, this, this guy's a guy to watch. I'll tell you right now, this director, Brett Mullen. Definitely cool. Yeah, we got a screener for it, but we haven't gotten the chance to watch it yet, so that'll be, um, that'll be a treat, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, can you tell us a little bit about Bloody Ballet, the general plot or idea behind the movie? Absolutely. Um, okay, so it's really a hat off to the Giallo movie of um, from Italy. The classic Giallo type of looks-wise, story-wise. There's a huge twist at the end. There's a lot of like layers and I wouldn't say subplots, but layers to it that at the end of the movie they all come together. And so you're thinking, um, you know, maybe like when you're watching a Fulci movie or something and you're thinking, well, that's kind of random and that's random and interesting, visually amazing, but kind of random. And then, boom, at the end, it's all, you know, just comes together. I wouldn't say ties up because that's a wrong expression. It's sort of, it comes together in, in the sense that, you know, it, it makes sense why, why you saw those things. They weren't uh, shown for no reason. So um, there's this uh, ballet star, if you will, within the, the theater that she works, and um, she starts really losing her mind. And I play her therapist, um, and I come in not just, you know, by, you know, sitting at the table, that whole scenario that we've seen a million times, but actually I get involved with her in the sense that I know something's really wrong, not just, you know, the competition and, you know, a lot of dancers have anorexia and they kind of like, they, they get bent out of shape of if one person gets the lead or they get the lead, you know, all of that stuff. And it sounds superficial, but, you know, this, this, woman is really losing it big time. Like, if you wanted to take uh, a mashup, you might want to take Black Swan and then mash it up with um, uh, more of a slasher movie, and then you throw the stylings of a giallo on there as far as the look and the execution. And through all that, 
you have bloody ballet. That might be one of the best descriptions of a film I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, especially yeah, since yeah. The, the only ballet I've ever seen is Dracula the Ballet, and it involved someone running around in circles, flapping a cape for like the first 45 minutes. So, was it Plan 9 the Outer yeah, Space? Yeah, no, no cape flapping, no cape flapping at all. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason I, I put it the way that I did is because I don't want to give anything away, but I want to get across that it's like super cool. It's great to watch visually, but it's also, there's gore in it. So, um, and you've got so much style. So that's sort of like, you know, I give you a little taste of the, of the through line, if you will. But really, it's, it's a movie to see. It's like so visual. It's a movie that, that one must see. Very cool. So, Unlike other movies that you don't want to see. Because I realized, what a silly statement that was. It's a movie that you want to see. <laughs> because, well, there really is movies that you don't want to see. But um, it's not one of those. <laughs> Definitely plenty of those out there. <laughs> no shortage of movies I don't want to see. <laughs> it's not one of those you don't want to see movies, you know. It's one of those you want to see it movies. Yeah, anyway. just 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 okay, about. Okay, go ahead, guys. I say right. just about every theatrical trailer I see anymore. It's like I really don't want to see that. Like, <laughs> I know. Oh Lord, I know. Fuck! What are they doing? So, what inspired the idea for Bloody Ballet? You know that I don't know because I didn't write it. However, I could tell you the story of how I became involved with it, um, how the writers, Brett wrote it, Brett Mullen, the director and DP. And by the way, when you get that combo, really often you get somebody who has like this amazing vision if they, they know what they're doing. Um, I've only experienced that. Well, I've experienced that a few times out of like the hundreds of movies I've made, just a few times is a small amount. And like Yvonne Zaccone, who made Color from the Dark and Wrath of the Crows that I did in Italy, he had that element about him. He was co-writer, director, and DP. That's exactly what Brett is with this movie. So when I talk about like vision, I mean, like, from the material to the directing to the literally, take, you know, grabbing the images that he wants to grab. So, I mean, that's, that's so important. But how he and Matt wrote the script, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you that about two years prior to my actually shooting, Matt contacted me. And he said, hey, you know, I'm writing this movie and uh, would love you to be in it and, you know, sent the script. Um, and you know what? I can't even remember if at that time it was most of the script but not all of it or if it was a completed script. But it was very cool. And I told him everything that I liked about it and, and that was that. Like many, many movies, I just thought, well, you know, didn't, didn't hear from this guy, so didn't get made, and I didn't think twice about it. I just, you know, went on with uh, whatever's 
really happening in the moment, so to speak, and you just prepare for those things. It just ended up being something that I really, really liked and I forgot about. And then maybe a month or six weeks, not long, like maybe two months before shooting, Brett calls me up and he says, you know, I don't know if you're so interested in the movie, but you know, we've been shooting piecemeal, but we're shooting the rest of the movie straight through. The last chunk we're going to do all at once. We're going to have Caroline Williams come out, and then she's going to go. You're going to come out, shoot all of your part, and then we're going to be finished with the entire movie. And then I'm going to start editing it. But the previous, I don't know if it was a year, but it was a long period of time, they had been shooting it piecemeal. Like the the star um, Kendra and also Katie, that were both um, in the movie, the, the two blondes who did a fantastic, amazing, amazing job. As you guys will see, um, had been shooting with Brett the whole time, so they had like this really cool shorthand in in working and talking to each other, um, and then I came in. Not long before I shot my part, I had heard from him, and it was on. I mean, and sometimes that's how things happen, but it was, uh, it was like I had, I had forgotten about it. Like, it's, that's how far back in my mind it was. I, I, it wasn't even on my radar. And so when he called me up and he said, you know, I know Matt had offered you this, this part, and I really wanted you to, um, you know, do it. And I know a lot of time has passed, but... You know, so it was just like this really nice surprise that just happened. And then it turned out to be this, this very cool project. So I'm happy that it worked out that way. Sounds awesome. Yeah, sometimes things kind of come together after a while, even if um, it takes longer than expected. Yeah, and that's, you know, that happens. So that's why, you know, you just, you could read a lot of stuff, talk to a lot of people, you know, get a lot of things going. And then some things, if it's not your project that you're directing or heading up, you just got to sort of like let it percolate on the back burner and people will just let you know when it's ready. Because some, some things just take longer than others and some things just sort of have this rapid, you know, boom, you're out of the gate, they get funded, boom, you know, it's very fast process and some things take you know i've i've had been involved with things that have taken literally 10 years so you just, you never know just because and especially in this day and age right it didn't happen yesterday or in about two seconds you know like posting something on instagram then oh my god taking forever oh my god <laughs> um so like you know film isn't really like that and you know, even with another movie that I did, you know, it took maybe two years for it to come out. And I remember reading, pe you know, people saying online, oh, my God, I can't, I have waited forever, like, actually getting angry. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, yeah, in a perfect world, one-year turnaround is ideal and, you know, fairly quick. And some people do it even quicker, but that's to be expected. My movie that I directed took four years from shooting to in the hands of people. And so, I don't know. It's like, it's interesting. I'm segueing into that, but it's an interesting 
expectation. Like there's so many things that can happen in, in post-production that just, uh, you know, tie things up. On the other hand, Brett really turned, it took a long time shooting it and getting it in the can, so to speak. But once he did, since he's also an editor, you know, thank goodness, um, he, could, he really streamlined it and, and got it out. So you've had a very long and illustrious career, and I was wondering if you could go back and think of, like, one interesting or fun story that has occurred during the filming of one of your favorite movies um, to share with us. Which, what would that be? Hmm, excellent question. Do you want it to have a happy ending or sad ending? <laughs> Either or, or do both. Do you want it to be funny or do you want it to be horrifying? <laughs> be a mix so of many. all of them. I mean, you, have to, you have to choose the emotion, <laughs> the, the emotional impact that it's had on me, and then I could narrow it down. Uh, geez, so many. Oh, my God. So many crazy, crazy stories. Um... You know what? Let's do it this way. Maybe I could come up with an interesting one if you guys pick this state. Now, I haven't shot in every single state, so this may not work. But pick a state in the United States of America. Okay. Well, we live in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, Pennsylvania. There you go. Um, Okay, so let me see. Well... There's some, there was some pretty funny stuff. I didn't shoot a lot of movies with uh, John Russo out in Pittsburgh. Um, well, I mean, shooting Night of the Living Dead 30th Anniversary Edition was an interesting, funny scenario because here you go. Um, Anchor Bay funded the 30th anniversary for them to add 18 minutes to the movie of the original movie, Night of the Living Dead, because they had lost their copyrights. And if they could add 18 minutes to the movie, you know, shot in black and white, cut right into the movie, there was going to be two discs. One was going to have the original movie remastered, and the second disc was going to have the, the movie with 18 minutes added. The original, movie, like, 1968 movie with, with 1998 footage cut into it. Yeah, of course, every fan would be mortified, and they were. But the reason they did it was to get the copyright back because the copyright had just fallen into public domain. So everybody was making VHS copies and selling them, and, and they couldn't even be sued or anything because it was, you know, public domain. So we shot the movie, like the 18 minutes of uh, footage, I mean, to be added. And um, originally even, even George Romero at that time was on board at the very beginning of the process. He quickly became uninvolved and was going to direct Resident Evil, which then he ended up not directing that either. But that we wouldn't find that out till later. Um, so John Russo and Russ Streiner headed up the footage. And so we shot that movie and it was such an incredible time, such a magical time, like just to be in all the exact, exact locations where the movie was originally shot. And then to have like all of the people that were in the movie there, 
like, um, you know, Marilyn Eastman, um, Carl Hardman, like all, of course, Bill Heinzman, all these guys were all there working on the movie. Marilyn's helped me with the costume and everything, and, and we did it and put it together, and Anchor Bay put it out, and amazing. Like, nobody would even try to understand or comprehend why it was done. It was just one of those things that, for better or worse, and still to this day, they're able to make money off of that, the original movie, finally. I mean, after 30 years from that time, you know, going back to 98, after 30 years of making nothing, um, they were able to make money off of that property again. And, uh, but, yeah, it was never forgiven by the fans and never, never embraced and always, like, beyond the red-headed stepchild of that sort of night world, night living dead world, but actually did a lot of good for everybody, including George Romero and everybody involved financially. So um, there you go. There's a story, but not necessarily a fun. Um, not necessarily, uh, kind of a sad one, I guess, kind of sad, Um, but just like for all the good intentions in the world, and you could still get basically your, your ass banked, so to speak, in the, in the real world, um, of things, um, boy, funny stories, I don't know, like, so many, where do I go, where do I start? I was shooting, um, let's see, in Arkansas, I was shooting a movie that, uh, it was kind of about witchcraft and voodoo and that kind of stuff. Um, it was really a horror movie, but you know, you got you got to have some kind of angle. Um, and so we were uh, shooting, it was called uh, Voodoo Cowboys, and... <laughs> Every because the town, which was microscopically small in Arkansas, they found out about it the, through the title of the movie. They found out that the movie was being shot, so they went around. And we're talking like micro-budget movies, you know, like fifty thousand dollar movies. Um, and so they went around to every single location that we were going to shoot at, and they flyered them and they picketed them and they convinced them to go back on their contract and their word and lose money because they were going to be paid to be, you know, their, their space used. And they just pressured them, the Baptist church down there pressured them into, you know, not letting us use any of the locations. So it's all done out in fields and, and it looks beautiful. It really looks incredible, but that was, you know, another another thing that happens on the road when you're making movies. And uh, instead of being in some, you know, big uh, building that's, you know, sort of a vast building where you're having a shootout, you're doing it in the in the fields of Arkansas, you know, completely covered in ticks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, these things happen. Adapt you know, and overcome. Kind of the, it's par for the course, I guess. Part of the job. I mean, it's not, it's not, that part's not fun. The rest is fun. But, you know, yeah, all kinds of stuff happens. 
Definitely cool. It's it's um it's, it's interesting to hear these stories because we'll have all different kinds of people on the show, people making their first film, people who've made tons of films. So it's always nice hearing from people who from somebody who's made like a decent amount of films who's been in the industry for quite a while. Yeah, I have. And are you guys um like podcast guys? Did you make films as well? Um we're um Mostly podcasting. We're kind of um, getting into making our films, but um, um, oh, we're we're cool. we're in Very we're cool. in the process of that right now. We've we've put one short film together. Yeah. Oh, uh, very nice, very nice. What was the name of it? That uh, one was called uh, Rockabye. Rockabye. It was like a short film we made. Like um, I wrote it like the night before because we didn't have the the stuff to make. Um, a, f- a film that I had written. The so. one we were supposed to make that yeah, day. Yeah, so I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to write, I just want to make something. Yeah. Yeah. Right now so I'm that, a, that almost sounds like that 24-hour challenge. Kind of, yeah. This is like um, that except <laughs> um, the eight-hour version of that. The eight-hour challenge. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun, though. But that's awesome. You know what? You did it and you finished it and that is the end of the story right there. That, that's that's how, that's what you have to do. Because, you know, there's some films out there that I have been in, and there, there's one in particular, one talk about Philly, um, or PA, I should say, a very good friend of mine, um, Heim Bianco, made this movie called Drug Me, Shoot Me. And it was, we shot it in 97. And did a little, early 2000s, did a few more days, and he has been at 97% complete ever since because he can't get that last chunk of money. Um, to me, this is, it's like, oh my God, like, isn't there a possible way that you could just, because at some point, you, you kind of have to finish something. And, and even if you have to change things up, you have to look at everything like, you know, there's never going to be the perfect blank. So I'm going to have to use what I have, you know, to get past that finish line and then just kind of trust that that was what was meant to be anyway. Like, just, just got to trust that because things always change. And in his case, I, you know, I don't know if that exactly applies because now it's been so long. You know, I, I don't even know what's missing. But, boy, in some cases like that, you just feel like it just feels so close to being complete and that it would be so cathartic for everybody involved for it to be complete. And it's got to be that way for him, too. But... It's really weird. And some people just, they have kind of have an, and I'm not saying that that's him, but some people have an issue finishing things. Oh, like yeah. There's really something to be said to just just go, go through the process. You don't have to rush it at all, but just, you know, finish, finish something. Definitely. Yeah, I just it's finished good, writing this. It's uh... good discipline. Yeah, I just finished writing this um, one script I was working on for a while, and 
I just, I kept putting it off and everything. I'd write a little bit here and there. I, I kind of outlined it, but finally got like 90 pages like done. It's like complete. And I'm like, wow, I, I actually have something I can say I, I wrote. And you know, I'm still like working on getting the pieces together, but it's like, it's nice to have that solid um, thing that you finished. Yeah, that's incredible. 90 pages, think about it. That's like a really sort of typical, if you will, script length, you know, everything being cinematically a minute a page. Ideally, you know, a lot of people work with like a 120-page script or whatever, but you, you now have a proper script. You, you completed that. You did that. That's a really big deal because there's a lot of people out there, and we've all been through that, whether it's temporary or some people have to, you know, sort of fight it their whole life or whatever. But, you know, you have to complete things. So even, even something like this, I don't know what you plan on using it for. That's like a major accomplishment. Thank and, you. And don't think that, never think that it's not. You know, everything that you can do that you can finish and, okay, I've done that. That sort of adds to the pile of, you know, accomplishments and successes, if you will. Because it's a success on the number one level that it was done, that it was completed. And then, then you have the next level and everything, depending on what you want to do with it. But never underestimate just, just doing it. Because there's so many people who live their whole lives and they never just do it. Speaking of accomplishments and doing something great or wonderful for yourself, if you could work with any one director of all time, you know, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, such a wonderful question because there's so many answers depending on, you know what I mean? There's, it's what genre and what everything. Boy, I'd have to say Martin Scorsese. I really would. I really would. There's no doubt. Because he is, he makes movies that I find so incredibly rewatchable. He made my favorite movie of all time, number one of all genres, Taxi Driver. And every time I think about his movies, I just think how rewatchable they are. And so that tells me many things. It tells me there's layers, there's things to catch. There, it's compelling enough that I want to see it again, even though I know I already know the story. It's not like it's not McDonald's movies. That you know these are aren't one time watch it and you'll never watch it again for the rest of your life. Cause there's trillions of movies out there. So you know Shutter Island. Um, there's so, so many. I mean, you could just, your brain could freeze. You can go, oh my God, yeah, he did Raging Bull 2. And oh yeah, and he did, like, you know, just, yeah. It would probably really have to be Martin Scorsese. Or it would be something very different, but similar in the sense of rewatchability. Because that's sort of how I judge a movie, is how... How many times could I see it? Could I, do I want to only see it once? Do I want to see it twice? Or have I found myself watching this movie 20, 30 times over the course of, like, you know, whatever, 30 years or whatever the case may be? Um, 
So David Lynch is another one because his stuff is very layered and it's so in his head that you can pick up new things every time that you watch one of his movies. Um, it's like going to an art gallery. It's like going to, you know, anything where the art is sort of, it's so layered and, and multidimensional that you could just, you could just see something, even if you're appreciating the same thing a couple times in a row, but then you think, oh, and then you start reading things into it because they're that good that you are like actually putting something onto the movie that may or may not even be there. But that's what you're, you're thinking, oh, maybe this and this happened because of that. And you start making connections that maybe never even occurred to the director. I mean, that's, that's truly what it's all about. I mean, that's, that's great art. Definitely. It's like movies where you can see where every scene and every moment has a purpose. Like there's no unnecessary dialogue, no unnecessary shots. Everything is... Everything ha- everything comes together. Everything has a has a bigger meaning, even if it's not this great meaning. It's um, part of a whole kind of. Absolutely, there's not a single frame that that is wasted, and it doesn't mean like every frame is like foreshadowing, you know, so it's obvious. But it's just like this beautiful. Every single frame is like it's telling your mind something, your subconscious and your conscious mind. And absolutely, I agree with you a thousand percent. It's that's beautiful. I mean, that's what we all aspire to to make something on that level. And then, of course, you you think to yourself, well, if I achieve that once in my lifetime, oh my God, that would be the ultimate. But then I'm sure the people who have probably think, you know, oh, I want, I need to do something better. So I mean, there's always, <laughs> there's always that too. But hell, let's get to that first one, and then we'll we'll worry about uh, topping that when we get to that first one. But um, it's such a joy to watch those kind of movies, isn't it? Definitely. So. What qualities would you say would make a great film? And could you give us, well, I guess you already gave us some examples, but um, are there any other films that you think that you would consider uh, great films? Oh, boy, there really are so many because, you know, it's, it's usually the ones, not always, but it's usually the ones that, that have uh, social commentary. And that's why I like horror movies so much because, you know, you could say anything in a horror movie. You can also say nothing, by the way, and just have it about a bunch of killings if you want. But you could also say a lot of things about, um, you know, it could be politics, it could be the, the climate, it could be humanity, it could be inhumanity, it could be, you know, wildlife. I mean, take someone who's... Um, not as famous as Martin Scorsese, who works in the underground, but is like highly respected, like Larry Fessenden, for example. And look at any one of his movies, and they have like um, an awareness and a message to them. And it's there; it's it's always there, but it's not it's not in your face. There's a horror movie going on around it, but there's 
there's something more there. Then you go over to someone like Lloyd Kaufman, um, who is like slapstick comedy, comedy that goes farther than anyone else dares to go. But there's social commentary in there. Um, I mean, these are, I find this far more fascinating than kind of the dry stuff. Unless I'm looking for, for stuff that's, that's funny, that's done seriously, but has humor to it because it's either so silly or, you know, it's, it just didn't come together. So it's funny, but it's still in entertainment, right? Um, some of the, I don't know, but some of the, the great movies that I love to watch multiple times, Jennifer Lynch's Surveillance, I think, is a genius movie. It's so good. Every single character, except for a little girl, is a complete asshole. Like, utter, absolute, unlikable, but likable, like in strange ways, some of them. Complete asshole, loser. Like, like, is there a redeemable person besides the little girl? Not really. But it's still, it's fascinating. It's, and it just unravels. And if you guys haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to talk about the, the story whatsoever. But that, that movie, is, it's just an exercise in, in, it's like a joy to watch. It's got like such a great twist. So that when you watch it the second time, you enjoy it even more. And that's, that's not just because, oh, you know the ending, so you want to watch the build-up. No, it's like you know the ending, and you know who's who and who's doing what. But even still, it's like you're, you're discovering things because you know who these people really are. Um, so that's, that's a genius movie, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, boy, 2001, a lot of Kubrick stuff. I mean, who doesn't love Clockwork Orange? Great. His masterpiece, The Shining. He's got lots of, you know, Hitchcock's uh, Psycho is my favorite. I know a lot of people like The Birds more, but I'm still the Psycho person. American Psycho is really good. I mean, the book is phenomenal, and they captured that, I think, extremely well. It's so funny and dark. Um, Vampire's Kiss, you know, crazy, insane, over-the-top performance, but completely works in in the setting of that particular story, because it takes someone that crazy as the, the character that Nicolas Cage plays in, in that movie. Um, so many movies. Oh, my God. Like, I just saw again, the third, I think it was about third time, William Friedkin's Bug. That's a great movie about mental illness. Oh, my God. That's, it's incredible. Have you seen that movie? No, I have not. I don't not. think I've seen that one. Oh, put it on the watch list. Definitely put that one on the watch list. Bug. And holy cow, yeah, just go in knowing nothing. That's the best way to go in with that one. Uh, just know nothing. And, yeah, you, 
it's, it's fantastic. It's, that's all I'm going to say about it. Just please watch it and go in with no information. Like, don't look look anything up or, you know, just watch it. I love watching movies like that. Now, on the opposite spectrum, are there films that you enjoy that are some guilty pleasure movies, movies that aren't great, don't have that, you know, deeper meaning, but you love watching anyway? And could you give us a few of those? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. Let me see. That don't have a deeper meaning. Well, see, I could name some, but I wouldn't say that they're bad. Do you want bad movies or do you want... A bad movie that I love is A Night to Dismember. Okay? A Night to Dismember, Doris Wishman, put together footage from... I don't know, two or three different movies, and her and, I can't remember who it was, her assistant, I believe it was, did the voices because they lost uh, the, either all or the majority of the audio for the movie, and they had, they reused shots, like of people running, so it's not just, you know, a pan of trees where it wouldn't matter, but, you know, it, and it's, it, it, it's so bad that it's, it's like a train wreck, and it is fantastic. You have to see, and it's, and it's on YouTube. Like, people can watch it for free. A Night to Dismember, and it's from the opening to the closing. Your, your jaw will be hitting the floor with shock and amazement, but it is absolutely <laughs> a thousand percent entertaining so that would be like right up there. I mean, that's, I mean, at least you could say some of the Ed Wood stuff, but, you know, even with his Plan 9 or Glenn or Glenda movies, um, they were sort of put together. You know, there was like, whether it worked or not, whether their set was falling down behind them or not, they, it was kind of put together. This is like, wasn't even put together. It was just kind of like barely slapped <laughs> together. Just, you know, because everything had failed. There was like two or three or four movies. And then if you could ever watch that movie with the commentary track, her and I, gee, I want to say it was her, either her assistant or her editor. I can't remember. But that is even funnier than the movie because she gets after them and blames them for everything. It's like the best time yeah. Oh, you have a great time. If you ever, if you ever catch that, George Bushman doing the commentary track for a night to dismember. That that sort of hits every single notch of like you know insanity on insanity on pure entertainment. I love it. That sounds absolutely incredible. Now we're gonna have to watch it. Oh, you have to really make a point. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself to the terror. That watch that right horror, after watch book. Horrible, but fantastically horrible. Like it's a it's a mind-boggling mess, and it's great. It's great. Every person that I have told about this, they can't they can't get enough. I mean, at one point there was a couple filmmakers that I know. Um, one was Dan Brownlee, who had made um, Serial, Serial Caller that I was in. And he saw it. He's also a fan of, like, really bad movies, loves them. 
And he was like, okay, you know what we should do? We should get like three or four of us and we should each just shoot one scene. And then we just slap it all together, like almost a tribute. It wouldn't be like to actually try to make a movie to sell, but as a tribute and like do it shot for shot for this crazy movie. I mean, that's, that's how much of a cult, um, you know, following that it has really. I mean, not like the room, but pretty close, kind of. It's one of those things where it's just kind of made for the sake of uh, making a film. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, boy. Definitely something oh, to respect boy, yeah. about that. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to start creating their own independent films? Well, you know, with technology being, you know, on pretty much everybody's desktop computer, if you want it to be, you know, if that's, that's if you have a Mac anyway. <laughs> I don't know about PC because I just don't have one. Um, I have one to write only, but I, I think, you know, just, Keep doing it, like just keep doing it, and and be your own um, job giver. In other words, create your own projects because there's if you're really in it to do it, then what's stopping you from making shorts like you guys made? Like you guys just went and did it. You did it. Everything came together. You had to change the script, so you said, "I don't care. I'm gonna write it right now." But we're gonna do it. If that's really what you want to do, whether it's just for your own personal art or art that you want to share with the world, then just keep doing it. Just do it, do it, do it. And just, it doesn't have, it could be small things at, at first. It could just be like small pieces that you put up on YouTube if you want and then get to um, the point of a, of a feature film if that's what your goal is. But Really, the technology is not stopping anybody, um, especially, you know, with the editing. You know, a lot of the filters are, can be built into that. Not everything, but, you know, can't fix everything, but it can really do a lot. And it never used to be that way. When I started, everything was on film. So, you know, you had to work your way up. You know, there's only so many projects there was a lot but it's not like today and so you had one line then you had to like work your way up to two lines and another movie then maybe five lines and another movie sort of work your way up like that but it doesn't have to be that way today so take full advantage of the the you know technology is, is all i could say like make it work for you instead of you know all of us working for it, meaning everybody's on social media spending their time there, which is great, great fun, make good friends. But, you know, don't let the technology use you. In other words, don't just let those companies make all the money off of you being there. Use your time and you get on the computer and make your art, you know, with that, that same time. So that's what I would say. So we have one final, very important, maybe the most important question we ask here at B Movie Bros. It's our age old <laughs> question that, uh, you know, Paul and I have debated time and time again, and we just like to get everybody's opinion on it. 
And that is, what is your opinion on hairless cats? Okay, hairless cats I have not seen um, in real life. So I have to go by pictures, right? I'm a massive cat fan. I have a cat. Uh, It's my first cat. I used to only have dogs. She has taught me how to love a cat and understand a cat. So now I'm a massive cat person. But a hairless cat is kind of freaking me out. (laughs) Again, if I had owned one, if I met one, I'd feel differently. But it's freaking me out. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not comfortable with this. See, see I think, so I think that's a... Say, I would have to say, I would And when I say thumbs down, I mean, don't kill me. <laughs> I just mean, like, am I getting the pet? Thumbs down. I'll get, I'll get a different one. That's all I mean. I, you know, but again, I haven't met one, so it's kind of unfair. However, thumbs down. So I think that's a that's a point for you, Paul. I'm on the side of I think they're adorable, and you know they just need a little more love. To me, they're like they're like cuddly versions of gremlins. Like you fed your cat after midnight, and now it has no hair, but you know it's not going to kill you now. It's just you know extra lovable. I feel like there's I feel like there's no angle you can look at one and without it looking angry and like it wants to just attack you. It's um they they I agree with you. Um they ha- they have to prove that they're um. That they're on our side before I'll um, get too close to them. <laughs> and you know what? For all I know, they could be way better than the cat with hair. But th- having never met one, that's, my, that's the issue that I have. So, you know, I feel like I, I've been, you know, I've, I've done something horrible to a cat somewhere. But... I haven't. I'm just saying, like, you know, okay, I put it in this perspective. I'm in a, you know, I'm in a store, I'm going to buy a cat, and I see a hairless one or a hair one. And so if I'm basing it only on that, that's, that's what my answer. But, but if you're telling me that the hairless cat is actually the superior cat, <laughs> then it's something that I should probably look into. See? See? Always... There's always, always that one you might, I might be able to sway. So we'll, Possibly. We'll, the, the, you really you'll, might. You'll have to just, you know. You'll, it's not like that. This is like a tie. I don't think that's ever happened. Like, there's, been, there's never been anyone that's, like, been like, you know what? Like, maybe I should give it more consideration. Like, I'm kind of on the fence here, but. It's probably the most fair answer of every kind. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not even trying to be fair, but I'm just trying to say that being such an animal lover that I feel like, you know, I, I don't know, like the way that I felt about my pets, they could have um, gone hairless during the time that I've had them and I would have loved them the same, maybe more because they've had to go through that. So I'm, I'm open-minded when it comes to that. I'm not open-minded when it comes to certain things. Makes sense. And I, you know what, Pete, like not, so somebody telling me I cannot have coffee anymore. I am not open-minded to that. <laughs> I can definitely respect like that's, that. That's not okay. That's the line. 
That's the line that says, maybe you need to get out of my life. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to deny me coffee. Like this, I feel more strongly about. But the, yeah, the hairless cat, I would say, go with the hair. But maybe if I met a hairless cat, I, I would feel completely differently. I'm at a disadvantage having never met one. Maybe you'll find a hairless cat that's offering you coffee one day. <laughs> yeah, that's like the the leprechaun, the end of the rainbow. It's like amazing. That would be incredible. Or the alien that's landed and offering me coffee. I, it would be, again, I would get on the ship, you know. Be ambassador to your... <laughs> So where can we watch uh, Bloody Bloody, um, Ballet? Bloody Ballet is on VOD right now. Um, I know it's on iTunes, and there was a list I don't have in front of me. You know what? Wherever you go to stream things, it's going to be there. Like, it's all the major outlets of streaming. So VOD, it, it went up yesterday, so it's everywhere. If you want a physical DVD, like I would, because I, I like having the DVDs, then on December 4th, High Octane is putting them out um, on DVD, and I'm sure, I mean, certainly you'll be able to get it through the online stores like Amazon. Um, I don't know if they're going to get them in Walmart or not. I haven't got that information, but it is going uh, physical, as we say, December 4th, but VOD right now, Bloody Ballet, incredible, beautiful movie. If you want to see like a really violent, twisted, good story, keeps you guessing, a lot of turns, and just visually superior film, you got to watch Bloody Ballet. So where can we follow you, Debbie, to find out more about projects you're working on now and in the future? Okay, well, DebbieRashon.com is the website. Uh, Debbie Rashon on Twitter. Official Debbie Rashon on Instagram. And Debbie Rashon on Facebook, um, which I go to, but I probably go to that one the least. So if you want to talk to me and stuff, go to Twitter or Instagram or something. But I do have a website that I post basic information. I'd be just looking for information. Um, you could go there, but otherwise come and talk to me on, uh, Twitter or Instagram. Sounds good. And they're all, they're all linked. If you want to make sure that you're speaking to the right account, you can always find the direct links on my website, debbierochon.com and just go that way. Then, you know, you're going right to the source. Sounds awesome. So there you have it, B-Movie fans, Bloody Ballet, a horror film starring Debbie Rashoon. Debbie, thank you for joining us today. It's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. (laughs) 